Sorry for the mechanical voice. I didn't want to contaminate the recording, as I have inserted this after the fact. By a factor of roughly 12 days, the next person you will hear is Vitaria Lion, with an interesting subterranean, or submarine, or subdermal, story. I'm sure you will enjoy. among the few surviving members of the HMS Challenger Expedition of 1872-76, the first to determine the deepest point of the world's oceans. The diving bell was made from one of those primitive lines they used to put around cameras, and the control panel from weathered vellum pages of an ancient manuscript of Abraham Abulavia, the letters perpetually shifting. I had designed it myself, a more advanced reinterpretation of the early submersible that had sent Darwin into the Galapagos Rift. However, at that time, it was still only large enough to fit me and Dr. Hegel. Ostensibly, he had been assigned the task of illustrating the unknown inhabitants of the abyssal regions, but he was far more interested in slipping his hands under the heavy silk of my dress, draped after the shell of the chambered nautilus, the secret nest of coils that led after whole years of burrowing to my bare skin. A large whale drifted past, interrupting us, her face covered entirely in sharp barnacles that formed the patterns of strange glyphs. Dr. Hickel then fortunately busied himself writing a monograph on the vegetation that grows out from the enormous pupils of that species. I lay down on my back and waited for my limbs to fade into infrastatic, impossibly far from all my flightless thoughts and memories, wondering how I would ever return to my own body, but not particularly frightened. I knew well that the stratigraphy of the sea has an inexplicable direct correspondence to the layers of human skin, and I allowed myself to sink farther and further into the subdermal realm. Somewhere an intangible scar formed across the surface of the water, the cremated remains of fetid eyelashes. Around me there grew a forest of trees, sprouting mussels and limpets, bark shifting from bivalves to lichens to the salt-eater ornamentation of moth's wings, replaced by a faint aurora that lapped against the edge of my vision. For I later learned that, as auroras appear at the latitudinal margins of the earth, there are also ones that occur in extremities of depth. It was a planetarium show of the interior of my body cavity, as all its constituents slept curled within me, of flying gardens and cloud-stranded oceans carried on the wings of seismographic birds. A world without wires, or the accoutrements of transit, beyond the waiting rooms and remote fields of the brain, outside the lateral ventricle of time, outside anywhere, into anywhere. When I was very small, perhaps four or five years old, after it became clear that my father was never to return, having gone northward with Franklin, there were nights when I would lie in bed with several heavy wool blankets wrapped around my chest, for that is how I always slept. I opened my eyes and I fantasized that as I stared beyond into the darkness overhanging me, I was surrounded by these queer figures. Creatures, perhaps, made of static lines of nothingness rapidly advancing toward me in a frantic manner. I closed my eyes, believing that I would not be harmed if I could not see them. I was never consciously sure of what would happen to me if I did not, but the implication was that I would somehow be consumed. That is the closest I can approximate to you of the experience of my descent into Challenger Deep. I passed through the chamber leading outside the vessel to the sea, a transparent glass tunnel stained with what Dr. Heckel had told me were anti-colors, the opposites of the color range registered by the human retina. 
I hypothesized to become visible only at the most inaccessible point of death. Here I encountered an entire genus of flightless birds with magnetic exoskeletons who live among hydrothermal chimneys shaped like sphinxes. There were great groves of jewel-encrusted arm reliquaries of saints arranged in various gestures, erupting from the seabed, utilized as shells by diverse species of animals. Imminently, it occurred to me that this was where the ink for the extinct gospel had been sourced. In the theater of tectonic surgery, this meiosis of an alternate color field, at last there emerges my sister, my sister with her five eyes and clawed proboscis and many pairs of lanceolate blades. She sits for me to paint her portrait with oils on the skin of a lantern shark, the only material to withstand the crushing pressure. The only liquid on the canvas is black, and I can't separate it from the water, but there are such a multitude of hues of this mini-textured world imperceptible to the eye, and I am feeling with my sight. I tell her what we are searching for, and she tells me that Challenger Deep is the opalescent minefield leading to all detrimental love. How much easier I think it must be to stay a bowl of single-celled milk slopping along the seafloor. Mm -hmm. There is no light in Challenger Deep other than that which begins in the heart, which is truly the source of all novel languages. As she narrated while I continue to paint, in those times, we did not know whether we were underground or undersea. We were buried and tombed as we had been for all the billions of years of our previous existence. In those times, the entire world was only an extension of ourselves. The abyss was only an appendage of what was inside us, and we could not differentiate ourselves from anyone else. Who is anyone in Challenger Deep? But then we found that we could taste color and temperature, that we could taste sleep, which in those times we sifted in droplets from the silt with our claws. To be awake and asleep, that was the first distinction, really. There were innumerable records made and kept at that time. Yes, several professional photographers were employed. The series of boxes containing them only appear at a particular hour well into the night in the lowermost floor of the Bibliothèque Nationale after it is dark and shuttered, tended by a glowing glove that emerges from the shelf in the very place where a young man once made love to a woman never seen before who, Upon unzipping her pink dress, revealed herself to have several rows of sharp pincers lying down her abdomen. <laughs> Deep time, you must understand, operated according to fundamentally different mechanisms and principles as a mode of time. It was organized according to the principle of camouflage, of undifferentiation of individuals. Not purely the impulse to fade into one's surrounding environment, mind you, but to camouflage and fade into what has come before oneself into the biological dream forms of one's organic predecessors in the genealogy of life. Our earliest ancestors, you see, were dissolved entirely. The first fossils arose from an idea, an impulse, to fade, to shapeshift into what had come before, into the ancestral existence of all, into the Earth's crust. All the adornments of birds, of insects, butterflies, all are an extension of the fossil. Now, don't let yourselves get too arrogant, however. One day you should know a few of your ancestors wandered into a labyrinth of elongated caverns, winding chambers leading continuously ever deeper into the entrails of the earth. It was lightless, solidly black, and they had lost their way. Overcome by exhaustion, they all agreed to rest there for the night and promptly fell asleep. When the morning came, not that they were aware of it, but as recognized by an inward sensation, one of them had found a spare piece of flint fumbling around and struck it. When the flame started, they all stared in rapt amazement, for the walls and arches of the cavern had been transformed in their sleep into a vast flood of animals of all kinds, 
of wolves, reindeer, aurochs, mammoths, bears, lions, leopards, bison, hyenas, horses, rhinoceroses. Unfortunately, with time, that ability was lost, but who knows? One day you may regain it somehow. Try drawing a bird with your thoughts. It isn't likely as hard as you thought. As you thought. And there were other parts of my body, I'm sure, that I felt at that time, but they were lost in darkness and in distance. The end. Next, I must prepare you for an unforgettable performance by Alice Lilitu, a performer self-described by her Instagram as a ripe ooze among the flowers. I said to her after the performance, Do you have to rip the flesh from my bones and make me anew every time you perform? And she looked at me and smiled. It's impossible to describe. This performance involves Alice, a movement artist named Lucifer, trained in Bhutto dance, and Majid once more. My love. Here it is. Where are you? What dread wind carries you away? What bristling current drags you ever deeper? What far-flung corners of the earth must you be kept? What demons of storm and fire and the shuddering earth must keep you? What curse is this that I cannot feel your breath on my skin? A breath, breath I have seen destroy nations on a whim, dissolve eons old civilizations for nothing more than the joy of starting anew. My love, I remember, I remember in the deepest inner chambers of my heart being in the garden with you, drinking the nectar of life, dancing in the stars. Eternal bliss. Until, until the rot set in and we tasted death for the first time, and it was exciting to look at each other through different eyes and different skulls. And, and our souls are supposed to be in these things. They are not. We are starlight. But it is so compelling to pretend sometimes. And so we lived a thousand upon a thousand lifetimes together. And we were so many different things to each other. Uh, mothers, sisters, kings and queens and comrades, 
dearest friends, vicious enemies, but we were lovers more than anything else. And then, one bright, melancholy sunset, it hit me all at once. I was here in a body like this with a past and present like this, trapped in this vicious sequence. And you were gone. I searched an entire lifetime and I could not find you. You were not here. And so, when I finally dropped this body again and ascended to the stars, I stayed there for a long, long time. And you were there, like always, in the infinite, in the everything. But you kept diving in again and again into the rot, into the tumult, into the river of life and death, how you pleaded and chided and tried to drag me down with you, but I would not. An entire lifetime without you, it broke my heart. A void, a scar deeper than the void of space. But even in the everything, you have such a silver tongue. And so, I relented. And I dived in again. Here I am. In this body, in this place, and you are gone again. And it is too much for me to bear. So I will fall into the cool grass. I will lie until maggots crawl over my flesh, until the ravens pick the eyes from my skull, until the high noon sun bleaches my bones and still. The marrow in these bones will yearn for you, for you. I will be a vessel for your heart's blood. For you. For you. Here Alice picks up a whip engraved. I am consecrated for you. In symbol. I do not I understand. I am desecrated for you. I am temple virgin for you. I am parlor for you. I am healing nectar for you. I am plague infected for you. I am 
blushing maiden for you. I am withered corpse for you. Solidarity.
this time, this time, this time, this time, this time, this time, this, 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 this time, this time, this time, this time, time, this, 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 this. And Alice carries with her a U-shaped device of some kind of metal, blunt on one end and with a sharp point on the other, and it has been used in many situations. And she brandishes it, and it is taken by Majid. And he tries to straighten it with all his strength. Having a lot of trouble with you, try. So he gives it to Lucifer. I mean, you try. You try. You try. You try. Try. Try it. You try. You. You try. You try. You try. You try. You try. You try. One point, Lucifer actually steps on it with their foot and pulls it up. Try. Still doesn't straighten.
which point they lay the semicircular U-shaped object at the head on top of the well-used sheet where the head is the whipping device two pan flutes on either side and the mandolin at the bottom and the metal you at the top and they're all with their heads down on all three sides As Stephen said, LaDonna and Lucifer next. LaDonna Smith and Lucifer meet each other in the middle of the space and lock eyes in unmistakable deep communication with one another. Who knows what happens from there. I can't describe Lucifer's motions. It's not possible in sound. The most I can say is you had to be there. My apologies. But hopefully LaDonna's music can do something to illustrate beautiful movements observed.
Up next, dear listener, is part three of the Quakes and Cries Night of the Undertakers and Underselves exhibition of the Atlanta Surrealist Group that will conclude the night. Hope you enjoy, and stay with us here on Mumbling Planet.